Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Governor Kathy Hochul and state health officials say New Yorkers should start preparing for a surge in three different viruses, RSV, the flu, and COVID. As the winter holiday season gets underway, Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul says doctors and hospitals in New York are bracing for a tridemic in the upcoming winter season. The respiratory virus RSV has been spiking in children for several weeks, and now the flu is on the rise. The governor believes largely due to New Yorkers attending Thanksgiving gatherings. We're not out of the woods. The threat is real. And we have cases. According to the CDC, two children have died from the flu so far this year. Children as young as six months old are eligible for the flu vaccine, and health experts recommend that everyone who is eligible get one. There is no vaccine or antiviral medicines for the RSV virus. Dr. Sally Permar, pediatrician-in-chief with New York Presbyterian Hospital, says there is potential for a vaccine and medicines to treat RSV to be ready for next year's flu and cold season, though. She says for now, parents should monitor their sick child at home and watch for these signs to determine if they need to go to the hospital. When um, you start seeing your child have difficulty breathing and um, rapid breathing and um, breathing that makes it hard for the child to drink and remain hydrated are um, good times to think about looking for medical care. State Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett says it's believed that the two years of social isolation, school closures, and lockdowns are responsible for the viral outbreaks in a population that has not yet been exposed to the diseases. We're coming out of a period when our children were really cloistered. They weren't going to school. We were keeping them away from other people, even from other children. Uh, and, and so, and this is hypothetical. I mean, we're just speculating that, that we've, uh, that kids haven't been exposed to uh, many common viruses that they in another time would have been exposed to. Finally, as year four of the COVID-19 pandemic approaches, cases are once again on the rise by 25 percent nationwide, and they're increasing on Long Island. Hospitalizations are also up, a trend Dr. Bassett finds worrying. She says like the flu, there is, of course, a vaccine to help prevent COVID, and the bivalent booster shot, which protects against strains of the Omicron variant of the virus, is widely available. But so far, just 13 percent of those eligible and one-third of seniors over age 65 have received the shot. Unlike during the Omicron surge one year ago, Hochul has no plans to impose a mask mandate or place limits on business or social interactions. Dr. Bassett says while masks are recommended in crowded indoor settings, governments are moving away from trying to force people to do so. People are tired of being told what to do, uh, but we in public health are now emphasizing that People can take decisions on their own and take decisions that are protected. Dr. Bassett is leaving at the end of the year. She told reporters at the briefing that it was her own idea to return to a prior post at Harvard.
Bassett replaced former state health commissioner Dr. Howard Zucker. Zucker was appointed by former Governor Andrew Cuomo. Cuomo resigned in August of 2021 over multiple scandals, including the undercounting of COVID deaths in nursing homes at the height of the pandemic in the spring of 2020. Zucker left shortly afterwards. Hochul praised Bassett and says she would have welcomed her to remain in her post. There cannot have been a more challenging time for any public health professional to enter into a whole new position than we had last December. The governor says she's conducting a nationwide search for a replacement, but does not expect to name anyone soon to the post, saying these are big shoes to fill. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok spoke with Conservative Party Chairman Gerard Jerry Kassar this week, who reacted to the midterm elections in New York. Your reaction, Republicans did better than expected in blue state New York. How come that was? Well, I think I think a lot of it had to do uh, with the fact that we had Lee Zeldin on the top of the ticket, a uh, charismatic, energetic candidate. I think also, unfortunately for the people of the state of New York, the Democratic Party and their mishandling of crime issues and, frankly, not a very impressive handling of economic issues uh, – gave a lot of voters pause, uh, a desire, particularly independent voters, to look for uh, alternatives, to look for uh, different, uh, uh, you know, elected officials. Um, the end result being that we now have 11 Republican conservative Congress members, and we picked up it looks like five seats in the state assembly, and there was a, you know, a small net gain. It looks like it's only one seat in the state Senate. But, you know, I mean, from my, my perspective, these are all we're moving in the right direction. I mean, we went from 36 percent of the statewide vote uh, four years ago on governor's race to 47 percent this year. So I was um, I think uh, I wouldn't say it was, uh, you know, a tidal wave, but I would definitely yeah. say uh, the tide came up in New York. I want to read you something from the Conservative Party website. Tolls and fares on the rise. New York State's three largest authorities, Thruway Authority, Port Authority, and the MTA, are all planning to raise tolls and fares in 2023. In the case of the MTA, they're looking at significant fare increases above the increases already scheduled. It is no accident that these authorities operate outside of direct taxpayer control. How so? Well, because the legislature years ago, with the consent of the governors, different governors have have wanted to create this buffer so that they're not going to be held responsible for what are exceptionally unpopular items. In the case of the MTA, I mean, they'll use they'll use the the um, they'll accurately talk about reductions in um, in ridership due to the pandemic, but they really do not want to discuss the fact that when the pandemic ended. Uh, that they, in turn, could not provide a safe environment or a clean environment. To some degree, that is improving. But once people decide that they 
or come up with a different mechanism or manner to transport themselves in New York City or in the you know, New York City region, because this is the MTA region from Poughkeepsie through Long Island, you don't get them back. So, I mean, maybe the MTA needs to be looking at other ways of reducing costs instead of making the whole, um, the whole experience more, much more expensive. And let me just say this to you, um, if, I, if you don't mind. Not at all. I am an individual who happens to use the subways, happens to go over Port Authority bridges, and happens to take the thruway a lot. I am really getting hit hard by all this now. Hey, it's, it's you know it's not it's not going to put me on a poverty line, but I mean we we could be potentially talking in my case quite a bit of extra money annually, and I am not the only person in this boat. That's New York State Conservative Party Chairman Gerard Kassar speaking with Legislative Gazette Political Observer Alan Shartong. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The incoming SUNY chancellor is no stranger to educational interests in New York. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas with details. The New York State University Board of Trustees on Monday appointed John King as the next chancellor of the SUNY system. King is a former state education commissioner and U.S. Secretary of Education under President Obama. He will replace interim SUNY Chancellor Deborah Stanley, who stepped into the role following Jim Malatris' resignation a year ago. Recently, King headed up the Education Trust nonprofit. King said at the meeting that he was glad to hear the trustees want SUNY to adhere to principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion. At the Education Trust, our research and advocacy have focused on closing opportunity gaps in higher education for low-income students and students of color. I know that at SUNY, we can demonstrate that equity and excellence go hand in hand. United University Professions Union President Fred Cowell hopes King will be a strong advocate and partner. We think it was very important for SUNY to have a chancellor in place, especially as the budget process is beginning, and uh, there is a real need for funding across SUNY. And we believe that uh, it's necessary for the leadership of SUNY, now uh, John King, to work with UUP, with student groups, with community leaders, with the legislature, and obviously with the governor, who has stated her support for SUNY. Governor Kathy Hochul praised the selection while speaking with reporters in Rochester. He has a broad base of um, knowledge about education overall, higher education in particular, but we are looking for a transformative figure, someone that will come here and reestablish the preeminence that I've always thought that SUNY should have, the reputation that I grew up with as a child, that this is the best public education institution in our nation. Alexandria Chun, a junior at Binghamton, is president of the SUNY Student Assembly. I can say that I am absolutely thrilled. I believe that Chancellor King is super well fit for the SUNY system, especially as we transition into a new page 
where we prioritize items like diversity and affordability and accessibility of higher education. I can tell that Dr. King prioritizes college affordability as a platform for future success, as well as closing opportunity gaps for students of color and low-income students and prioritizing excellence in education, which is really awesome. Senate Republican leader Rob Ort says the SUNY Board of Trustees should immediately reconsider their choice of King. In a statement, Ort criticizes what he calls the inflated compensation package King will receive on top of an annual salary that is more than three times the governor's. Ort says New York taxpayers will be on the hook for thousands of dollars a month to pay for travel between New York and Maryland, John King's state of residence. New York State United Teachers President Andy Pallotta wasn't available for comment. NYSET had issued a vote of no confidence in King when he was state education commissioner. Pallotta said in a statement the union will work with Chancellor King to ensure that our campuses and the educators serving on them receive the critical funding and support they deserve as we continue to push toward a common goal, making sure every New Yorker has access to an affordable and exceptional public education. King will start January 17th. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustinum. Joining us now on the Legislative Gazette is Libby Post, Executive Director of the New York State Animal Protection Federation. Libby, welcome. Well, thanks for having me, David. It's great to be with you. And you, the pressure is on now. We learned this week that the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, being pressured to veto a bill that advocates argue would stop out-of-state pet breeders from shipping animals to New York State that have been raised in cruel conditions. This is the so-called puppy mill pipeline bill. The question for you is, I know you felt pretty positive that the governor was going to sign this. It's looking like she might veto it. Have you gotten a reason why? No, we have not really gotten a reason why. They've been dancing around a couple of different things. Um, one is, well, we don't want to put people out of business. Well, there used to be 400 pet stores in the state of New York. There are now between 70 and 80. That means educated consumers have made the choice that this is not the way they want to buy a pet. Um, you know, a few years ago, we outlawed the leasing of pets. In New York State, people were getting bamboozled at pet stores. Oh, here, we'll finance it for you. Just sign here. They ended up leasing the animal with a major balloon payment at the end. That's been outlawed in New York now. It's time for us to take this next step. New York is complicit in animal abuse for as long as we allow puppy mill puppies to come into the state. Um, We have a puppy mill mom. We adopted a puppy mill mom about a year ago. She has puppy mill PTSD. The reason why we did this, other than the fact that we love animals, I mean, when when we got the message about her that she was at an Amish puppy mill in Ohio, and the option was somebody come and get her or we're going to take her out back and shoot her, right? We were like, this dog needs to be rescued. She was bred every six months from the time she was six months old, her first heat cycle, and when she was spent and could no longer produce any more puppies, 
she was not a worthwhile investment for the breeder. So he wanted to just take her out back and shoot her. Thankfully, there was a rescue. People look at the puppies in all of this. Oh, they're so cute. They're this, they're that. They are pumped full of antibiotics and steroids when they get to a pet store to look healthy. I get the calls. I just got a, a, a puppy from a pet store. It's sick. What do I do? You know, and I'm like, you got to spend a lot of money if you love this puppy to make it better. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So the fact of the matter is, is that this is a dying business model. And New York is not in the business of propping up dying business models. These companies can rebrand as humane businesses like the rest of the pet stores that we know of throughout the country, PetSmart, Petco. Locally, we have Benson's. There are plenty of these pet supply stores. It's a $183 billion business. Less than 2% comes from the sale of live animals. And some of that are the crickets that people buy to, to feed their snakes. And so we know that this is not where the bulk of the money is coming from in terms of revenue for pet stores. And these 70 or 80 remaining pet stores can rebrand as humane businesses. The bill calls for shelters and rescues to come in and do adoption events, which is the model we see all over the place. People then come to the store, do the adoption event. They buy all the stuff. They buy the food, the bedding, the stupid costumes at Halloween the medicine, everything that they need for their animals, and then they come back because they have built a brand loyalty to this, this, this local business because they did the adoption there, because they were good to the shelter or the rescue, because they're humane. Isn't there a larger issue here, though, Libby, in that we see these animals as products, not sentient beings? Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, you know, the pet store goes online, right, an app on their phone, and does boom, boom, boom on their phone, and the next day or the two days later, a transport comes for 100 bucks a pop, and all these animals are, are brought in. So, yeah, they're seen as commodities. And the fact of the matter is, is that these are living, breathing entities. They're not a TV. They're not, you know, something that you can take or leave. This is a, an animal that needs to be cared for, that needs, that needs to be uh, have medical attention. And I can tell you what happens at the puppy mills themselves, they are not provided with veterinary care. You know, there are USDA uh, films that we are, we, we've gotten and we are using to show how bad the conditions are for the moms and the puppies themselves. And yeah, they are sentient beings and they deserve better. They deserve much better than this. And New York deserves to take the step up. And Governor Hochul needs to take this step. I don't understand what the problem is here. She has received thousands, tens of thousands of emails. I personally delivered close to over 2,500 postcards. We did the old-fashioned way, right, of real postcards. We've got calls going into the executive chamber. We've done research that shows people in New York want this bill signed. They no longer want New York to be complicit in animal abuse. Yeah, and one of the ways to help stop animal abuse is to support those that do that as part of their jobs. Tell us about the Division of Animal Cruelty Law Enforcement. Well, so the New York State Animal Protection Federation represents all the shelters in the state, and um, many of the shelters are also SPCAs, and so they have uh, humane law enforcement peace officers. Some of them carry, some of them don't, as in weapons. Um, 
Um, but our Division of Humane Law Enforcement, we do a lot of training um, to make sure that not only our people, but district attorneys, judges, other types of law enforcement, sheriffs, police departments can recognize what animal abuse is and act on it. And to some degree, we have been the victim of our own success because now law enforcement, other than our own folks, uh, humane law enforcement, but police, sheriffs, they are taking these crimes seriously. And we are seeing that our shelters are now really at capacity because of all of these animal abuse cases that have been uncovered. Um, and we will continue to do this work because this is the right thing to do. Making sure animals are not abused, making sure that animals, uh, companion animals are taken care of well, they're not in hoarding situations. That's what we need to do. And I can tell you that the puppy mill bill, when COVID hit, pet stores did unbelievable price gouging. They were selling animals for four or $5,000. I did a survey. I have found that shelters then ended up with these animals that were bought as puppies when people started going back to work. And so now we're holding the bag for these COVID puppy mill purchases, and we're trying to get these animals adopted out. So, you know, the pet stores were not really good actors during COVID, and they continue not to be good actors. I can tell you that they are lying through their teeth when they say, oh, we go and we see where they are and we talk to the people who breed them and they're really good people. We know where these animals are coming from. There are certificates of veterinary inspection that have to come into the state to say to ag and markets to say where these animals are coming from. We know we've got the pictures, we've got the videos. We know the horrendous situation that these animals come into. And our humane law enforcement you know, they are the folks that go out and make sure that when animals are in somebody's home, they're not being abused. But we have to make sure that abused animals aren't coming into New York to begin with. Yeah. And you mentioned the shelters and that more animals are coming in as a result of more law enforcement paying attention. So does that mean we need more shelters? What's the condition of our shelters in New York? Well, there's about 100 shelters in the state of New York, give or take, and um, most of them are my members. We've been very successful at the Federation of uh, creating the Companion Animal Capital Fund, and last year that was $8 million in the budget to help shelters with capital projects. Um, we'll never get operating funds. I know that. That's not going to happen. But capital money is something that is tangible, and people can see the results. Shelters, by and large, are either municipal, so they are government entities, or they're nonprofits, and they provide sheltering services for local governments because all local governments have to provide sheltering services for their homeless companion animals. So the shelters themselves, we're seeing a number of shelters across the state. Um, over 30 or 40 have gotten this money. Susquehanna in Cooperstown, Westchester SPCA down in Briarcliff, the Humane Society of Westchester in New Rochelle, um, Dutchess County, they've all gotten money um, and have opened up new facilities. Susquehanna is a beautiful new facility. If you're ever in Cooperstown, go take a look. There are a number of new shelters. And what this money has done, it's really interesting because, you know, people rail against government funding, right? But when a shelter gets this award and the most you can get is 500000 it helps to kickstart a capital campaign. And that's what happened in Susquehanna. They got 500000 the first year, 
And then they were able to raise $5 million to build a new shelter. Same thing in Westchester. We're seeing this all over the state. This money is helping shelters with their physical plants. And then the other thing that we've done is passed, and we're waiting for the governor to sign this bill as well, the Companion Animal Care Standards Act for shelters and rescues, which heightens the level of care that homeless companion animals will receive at these facilities and also now puts rescues under the purview of ag and markets. All rescues had to do in this state was register, and that was a bill we passed in 2017 because before they didn't even have to do that. Now they will be inspected along with the shelters, and that has to happen. We're speaking with Libby Post, executive director of the New York State Animal Protection Federation. Now, Libby, obviously you're lobbying on behalf of those who can't lobby for themselves, in this case, the animals. But the best lobbyists often are the people who want their legislators, their governor, to support a bill like the puppy mill pipeline. So how do people, if they're concerned about this, make their voices heard? Well, the thing that you can do right now is call the governor's office. Call the executive chamber, 518-474-8390. Listen for all the prompts. I think you do uh, three first and then two um, in terms of the extensions. And leave a message. Be polite, but leave a message asking the governor to sign the puppy mill pipeline bill, which is S-1130. And, you know, this bill passed in the Senate a number of times. It passed in the Assembly this year with massive bipartisan support. That's the thing. This is not a Democrat or a Republican issue. This is a humane issue. This bill passed with massive bipartisan support in both houses, and it's clear that puppies and kittens are the last bastion of nonpartisanship. And the governor needs to recognize that people want this bill signed and that it's an important bill, and it will make sure that New York is no longer complicit in animal abuse. So, folks, please call the executive chamber, 518-474-8390, and make your voice heard. Go on Facebook. Go to the New York State Animal Protection Federation's Facebook page and share our shutdown, the Puppy Mill Pipeline video, which features my little rescue, Sophie, talking directly to the governor about what it's like to be a shelter not a shelter dog, uh, uh, um, a puppy mill dog, a puppy mill mom. Um, but do this. Do this today. She has until the end of the year to sign this bill. This is one of the most consequential bills for animal welfare that New York will ever pass. She is Libby Post, executive director of the New York State Animal Protection Federation, <laughs> often with her puppy mill dog in the background as she joins us on the Legislative Gazette this week. I'll also disclose she's on our WAMC panel on the Roundtable Program Weekly, a long-time correspondent. Libby, thank you for being with us. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2249. Or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.